Hey there, listeners, and welcome to another episode of the Climate Ready Podcast, where we continue to cover the latest stories, trends, and perspectives on international climate issues. We'll be joined in just a bit by another member of the Climate Ready team, Aaron Gooch. When I was thinking about today's episode, it struck me. There seems to be an often overlooked topic when it comes to climate adaptation. We talk about all the problems being caused by climate change. More importantly, we spend a lot of time talking about how to adapt. But who pays for all that? I mean, in the big picture and in the long term, how do we make sure that these incredibly important ideas for adaptation and sustainable development can turn into bankable projects? It reminds me of a story that a colleague once told me. He's an ecologist by training, and he was having a hard time figuring out how to really influence the decision-making process. In this case, I think it was for a water infrastructure project. Someone told him that he was working with the wrong group of people. It's not the ecologists, it's the engineers that make all the decisions. So he set up some meetings with a group of engineers, and he thought he'd gotten a seat at the right table. But then these engineers told him, we're nobody. The people who really make all the decisions are the economists and the financiers. We can have all the ideas in the world when it comes to climate adaptation, coming up with interesting projects and political commitments. But at the end of the day, we need to figure out how to finance all these efforts in a way that promotes the most sustainable and scientifically robust projects. That's how you make a lasting difference. And that brings us to today's interview, where we're joined by Anna Creative Climate Bonds Initiative. She'll be talking to us about some of the ways that her organization, CBI, is supporting climate resilience through innovative finance mechanisms. Stay tuned. The Climate Ready Podcast is a product of AGWA, the Alliance for Global Water Adaptation, an informal international network of water and climate professionals working to develop, enable, and mainstream climate change adaptation and mitigation practices within water resources management, decision-making processes, policies, and implementation. The Climate Ready podcast is made possible by funding from the World Bank Group. For more on the World Bank and its role in supporting climate adaptation efforts, visit www.worldbank.org. We now get a chance to hear from Anna Creed, who coordinates the development of the Climate Bonds Standard at Climate Bonds Initiative, an international investor-focused not-for-profit organization based in the UK. Anna, thanks for joining us today. Great to talk with you. To give our listeners a little bit of a background as we begin, we're going to spend a lot of time today talking about bonds as a financial instrument, which is a relatively new subject for me. CBI recently released its State of the Market Report for 2017, which states that the climate-aligned bond universe now stands at $895 billion U.S. dollars. That's billion with a B. The number is comprised of almost 3,500 bonds across seven climate themes, transport, energy, multi-sector, water, buildings and industry, waste and pollution, agriculture, and forestry. That's an incredible sum of money going towards sustainable development. And yet, it's not nearly enough according to the estimates of investments needed to meet the Paris Climate Agreement. Still, we find that there is hope in the global finance systems, including the $90 trillion global bond market, that this can be leveraged in a way to pivot towards sustainable investments in climate change solutions. As you'll hear, green bonds will play a critical role. 
So Anna, your organization, Climate Bonds Initiative, or CBI, is seeking to mobilize this enormous bonds market for climate change solutions. Could you tell us a little bit about CBI and how you work toward that goal? We basically have three key work streams to really get change moving at scale within the bond market. First of all, we work a lot in terms of market development. We work with governments and regulators, the financial community, stock exchanges, to really think about how the, the bond market and the green bond market could be set up, how it can best be supported, what kind of rules or supporting infrastructure there might need to be uh, to really get traction, to get investors to use and uh, invest in green bonds and issuers to uh, issue green bonds. Um, and we do a lot of that work uh, very globally in both the mix of uh, developed countries and developing countries. So that kind of market development piece is a core part of what we do. And then alongside that, we have uh, a strong market research side uh, where we track the green bond market. We track individual bonds that are being issued and being labelled as green um, and give informal uh, opinions on those, uh, which we release via blogs. And we're also doing a lot of analysis looking at the green bond market as a whole. Annually, we release a state of the market report, which gives a snapshot of all the green bonds and all the climate aligned bonds that have been issued in the last year, looking at the types of entities issuing them, the credit ratings that they have, the geographies and the sectors that they're covering. And we're also starting to do now that there's getting a lot more scale in the green bond market, looking at overall trends. Can we see the general picture in terms of what level of reporting people are doing for their green bonds? How transparent are they being about the use of proceeds? We're increasingly looking at whether there is a price premium for green bonds. Now that we're starting to get more data, we hopefully can build up a stronger picture on those kind of issues. The market research is quite a key element of our work. And then Lastly, but not least, we have established a climate bond standard and certification scheme. It's the only scheme globally to actually give accreditation to green bonds, that they meet a set of externally determined, scientifically based green criteria to ensure that everybody that's being certified against those standards is meeting the same level of uh, requirements and ambition. And on the back of that as well, we also run the kind of verifier pool that gives assurance to the market that those criteria are being met with through an independent verification process. Terminology can sometimes be a stumbling block to understanding this universe. Can you give us a quick explanation of the difference between green bonds, climate bonds, and certified climate bonds? Yeah, that's a very good point. And it is a bit of a messy ground. It's, it's obviously called a green bond market. And there's things like the green bond principles. Generally, though, what we see is that most green bonds are focusing on climate related elements. Um, they do have other factors in there as well. They might have water or waste or biodiversity, other kind of green factors. But climate makes up a core component of of actually what the impacts of these green bonds are. And so when we set up the Climate Bonds Initiative, we really wanted to draw attention to the climate angle on that. Um, and hence, we operate very much in the green bond market. We certify green bonds, but we're really looking at the kind of climate impacts and the climate credentials of those green bonds when we're making the evaluations. Certification is kind of a layer on top of that in a way. It's again, has this independent uh, verification and independent view um, on the green credentials of the bond. But the green definitions come from the climate bond standard itself. So it's not that issuers are defining green for themselves. There's a kind of objective, independent set of green rules and green criteria. And then there's independent verification on top. And it's if you go meet those requirements of the climate bond standard and it's been verified by one of our approved verifiers, then we would call it a certified climate bond. Climate bonds have mitigation, adaptation, and resilience components as part of their criteria. 
How do you navigate and define these concepts, considering that the standard will be so broadly applied? We have a lot of discussions with our technical working groups, which are made up of members from across the global scientific and climate science communities, which help us to derive the criteria. We have a lot of discussions with them about what climate resilience means for the particular assets that they're talking about and how that can be evaluated. Given the diversity of possible projects that we might see, the ways in which they will need to be resilient to climate change and what sort of impacts they might need to be measuring or making sure that they're having, that's such a broad range that we can't, in the criteria and our green definitions, we can't specify a requirement for particular outputs or particular impacts that we want to see. It would be inappropriate and inflexible for us to do that. So instead, we're taking a more process-based approach to climate resilience and climate adaptations. Our criteria generally ask that issuers have done some sort of climate vulnerability assessment or climate risk assessment, and that's been a thorough process, and we would ask the verifiers to check that. But through that process, the issuers have identified really what their key climate risks are, how likely they are, what the scale of the impact might be. And they also, connected with that then, think about what they can do to address those risks. And they've started to put in place whatever the measures are necessary to achieve that. Um, And so essentially, what we're really asking that people have gone through the process in a very credible way, a very robust way to identify their climate resilience risks, and to put measures and mitigation strategies in place to really address those risks and keep monitoring the situation over time, uh, and evolve and update those uh, risk assessments and risk strategies as needed. So there are definitely some environmental benefits, some adaptation benefits to these climate bonds. But as, as far as strictly finances are concerned, how do climate bonds compare to traditional bonds in terms of uh, returns on investment and maybe levels of risk? Yeah, this is an interesting point, because essentially what the climate bond standard is, is environmental due diligence. So we are not Uh, checking in any way the kind of financial due diligence or the financial returns on a particular project or a bond. And I think one interesting thing about the bond market is that often uh, bonds are often raised by entities against the strength of their balance sheet. So it's not necessarily the case that the project that's connected with the bond that they're saying they're going to use the money for, the repayments on the bond just need to come from the institution themselves from somewhere on their balance sheet. The project itself doesn't need to generate the returns to repay the bond. And I think that's quite important um, because it is all then about the financial credibility and the the credit rating of the issuing entity, not necessarily the financial returns on on the project itself. And that is particularly important for adaptation projects, obviously, which might not have a direct financial return on them. But it does mean that these kind of things can be used to issue green bonds. And they're very attractive. Adaptation and resilience type bonds can be very attractive to investors. They see the value in putting money into these kind of initiatives as long as they're paid back from somewhere with the issuing entities that somehow kind of cross subsidized or um, there's other financial returns that are made by the issuing entity that they can they can pay these bonds back through that mechanism. What is the demand like for these labelled green bonds? Demand is very strong. So we're seeing a a lot of issuers of pension funds and other very large investment funds have very publicly said that they want to invest a portion of their funds in in green. They've set themselves quite strong green mandates. Um, And so they are looking to buy green bonds, basically. They want to put their money into green. And that creates quite an interesting situation at the moment in the green bond market because 
there is definitely over the demand for green bonds. There's not enough green bonds in the pipeline, really. So when anybody is issuing a green bond, they often see that they get a lot of oversubscription to their green bonds. There's a lot more people want to buy than they're actually looking to sell in their green bonds. So we have seen quite a number of examples where, for example, an issuer might be looking to issue $500 million of debt through a green bond, and they end up issuing more than that, maybe $700, $750 million, just because the demand to invest in a green bond is so strong as long as it's a credible green bond, as long as investors are comfortable that it is going to deliver green impacts. So out of curiosity, who are some of the largest issuers of climate bonds, like either what institutions or even kind of categories? The green bond market started in about 2007, 2008 with the development banks, and they were the first ones to issue green bonds. They have remained really strong players in the market ever since then, and they tend to issue quite significantly sized bonds. The green bond market as a whole took another step up in about 2014 when corporates started entering the market at scale. The range of the bonds that they issue varies quite a lot, so we do see them ranging from a few hundred million to a few billion. In 2016, that's when China really entered the market at scale. And although that was the first year they were really participating in the market, the Chinese market as a whole accounted for about a third of the green bond market globally in 2016. So they're very big players. And again, when they issue a bond in China, they tend to be quite big bonds. I think the interesting thing about the bond market is the variety of players. Bonds generally are very long established financial instruments. They've been used by governments and public entities for hundreds of years, basically, to raise money for big infrastructure projects. Corporates are now heavily involved in it as well. Development banks are, other institutions, commercial banks as well. So we see a lot of different players, a lot of different scales in a lot of different geographies. Why is it so important to develop standards for projects seeking to issue climate bonds? Yeah, the, the main point here is as the market multiplied and it's taking these big step upwards in terms of its size and the number of participants, there is a concern that there might be greenwashing, which is where somebody issues a bond, they claim green impacts, but it delivers on those impacts, either because they weren't very ambitious in the first place, or there's not much transparency over time about whether those impacts have actually been achieved. So this concern about greenwashing is really where the green definitions and standards come to play. What that is, is an attempt to basically take from the latest climate science, the latest knowledge of best practices, um, and the people that are really pushing at the market to say, actually, what is very good green performance here or dark green performance? Um, what does that look like? What does that mean in terms of boundary levels of, of impacts and performance we might want to see in the market? So standards can bring, A, that level of rigour to actually objectively determining what is green. And also they bring consistency as well, because as I described it before, what we see at the moment is a lot of people are just are effectively defining green by themselves or with consultants of various sorts. And it doesn't mean that isn't green, but it does make it difficult for investors to evaluate what green means in different contexts with different bonds and different geographies. The advantage of having a common definition is that an investor will know if it's met that common definition that a bond A and a bond B, if they've both met the same criteria, are both equally strong um, without having to do what might be quite time consuming and possibly quite challenging given they're from the financial sector, not the scientific sector, um, sort of environmental due diligence themselves. So it really sort of simplifies the process for both issuers and investors about what levels of performance are needed and are being delivered and does that consistently around the world. And I'd offer that there's maybe even a third benefit to standards aside from, you know, assuring that there's a scientifically rigorous uh, 
background to these projects and, and consistency between projects, but transparency, I think, is pretty important too. Yeah, that's a very good point. I agree. You touched on this earlier, Anna, but a core project of Climate Bonds Initiative is this Climate Bonds Standard and Certification Scheme. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? This is basically a means by which green bond issuers can ensure they meet a certain set of established and accepted and credible green definitions. There's a simplified way that they can go about demonstrating that to the market. And it basically means that investors won't need to do this environmental due diligence themselves. To make this work, what the Climate Bonds has done is we convene technical working groups to help us define these green definitions and green criteria. And we also run the certification scheme where we vet applications from possible uh, potential verifiers to see whether they have the right credentials and the right expertise to go out and do an assessment of a green bond. And if so, then they will we will sort of accept them into our pool of approved verifiers. And then when an issuer actually wants to get a certification under the climate bond standard, it has a pool of approved verifiers who already know the standard it can reach out to um, and contract to do the assessment and the assurance process on their green bond before they go to market, before they start trying to interact with investors. So that's all done and dusted up front before they start having the conversations with investors. Uh, the green kind of credentials are already vouched for and demonstrated and certified. That's the, that's the purpose of the scheme. Within the climate bond standard, there are also sector-specific criteria. What's the rationale behind this approach? The climate bond standard is quite ambitious. Really what we're trying to do is to be able to screen and certify assets that are compliant with the Paris Agreement. So we are looking to certify assets that are compatible with very rapid decarbonisation at scale and also that are climate resilient to unavoidable climate change, basically. There are two sort of overarching requirements of the of the the standard. Um, obviously, what it means in terms of rapid decarbonisation is going to vary a lot across the power sector, across buildings, water infrastructure, transport, um, agriculture, forestry, etc, etc. So the way that we approach it is we split it down into sectors. We think uh, separately about what it means for transport assets like a railway compared to a uh, water infrastructure system or compared to buildings, uh, commercial buildings, office blocks and the like. So we have this kind of sector by sector approach to developing criteria so that we can make sure that the criteria that we come up with are very fit for purpose for the nature of the assets that they are going to need to evaluate. Can you tell us about the process behind the development of the water sector standard? For the water criteria, we are really looking at water infrastructure at larger scales. We've done it in two phases. So first of all, we looked at criteria for grey or built water infrastructure. And those criteria were developed and released uh, a, nearly a year ago now, in October 2016. Um, and we've so far certified three bonds against those phase one criteria, two from San Francisco and one from the city of Cape Town. And phase two is an interesting one. It's about bringing in additional criteria so that we can also assess and certify green or hybrid solutions to water infrastructure. Both of these sets of criteria, which are now integrated into one set, and phase two is about to go out for public consultation. But these criteria were developed by, like I mentioned, a technical working group. So we've got, I think it's about 40 technical advisors from institutions around the world who work on the science of, of water infrastructure in their day jobs. And they contribute their time to the Climate Bonds Initiative to have these discussions about what criteria should we set for water-related bonds. The interesting balancing act that we have to do is we need to make sure that these criteria are scientifically robust. 
but we also need to make sure they're as simple as possible to minimize transaction costs for issuers that are looking to demonstrate compliance with them. So we can't introduce criteria that are too complex that will take a long time to prove compliance with or require a large expensive assessment to be done because people just won't come to us to get certified if those kind of barriers exist. So through the technical working group, we developed these kind of scientifically robust proposals. And then following that, we convened an industry working group, again, made up of about 20 different organizations across the financial sector, whether they might be investors in bonds or intermediaries who help the bond issuance process, um, also potential verifiers who might be called to assess those bonds. And they give essentially a pragmatic sense check of the proposed criteria from the technical working group to see if they are workable, if they are based on data that the issuer is likely to already have. And they can be complied with relatively straightforwardly from a process and a cost point of view. And then once they've gone through that process with the technical working group and then the industry working group, we release the criteria for public consultation. Um, we want to get, A, we want to be transparent about the criteria, and B, we want to get as broad an input as possible from all the different stakeholders um, that might have an interest um, to advise us on the scope and the uh, specifics of the criteria. So they go through that process as well. As a note to all of our listeners out there, since this interview was recorded, phase two of the water sector criteria, which focuses on green and hybrid infrastructure, has entered its public consultation period. Through December 14th, CBI is seeking comments and feedback on the standard before finalizing it at the beginning of 2018. You can find out more by visiting climatebonds.net slash standards slash water. And now back to our conversation with Anna Creed. How do the concepts of mitigation, adaptation, and resilience fit into uh, the requirements that are part of the standard and scorecard? We basically have um, two key components, two separate components of the water criteria. The first one is about mitigation and emissions, and the second one is about adaptation and resilience. And what we require is that issuers meet both of those components. So there's no trading off here. You need to meet the mitigation requirements and you need to meet the adaptation and resilience requirements. So after diving into some of the specifics of green bonds, we'll take a step back and look at the global picture. An important part of the Paris Climate Agreement was the establishment of nationally determined contributions, or NDCs, that outline each country's adaptation and mitigation efforts towards achieving sustainable development. This has opened up an enormous market for sustainable finance. India, for instance, will likely need nearly $1 trillion U.S. dollars to meet all mitigation goals under their NDCs. What types of financial mechanisms can support this and what type of role will uh, will climate bonds play? Yeah, it's a good question. And I think this is almost at the heart of our market uh, support work and market development work, because actually what we're trying to do with mobilizing the green bond market, it's a little bit of a Trojan horse for us, because ultimately what we want to see in the world is, is the development of this pipeline of green infrastructure projects that are looking for investment. So we often work when we're working with governments or other developers to help them to think about actually if they're developing a, an NDC, how they can make that as green as possible, what sorts of assets and projects, and this is where we can use our green definitions to help with this, what sorts of assets and projects we uh, might recommend that they, they think about including in those. So we do get quite involved in, in trying to sort of shape and push the agenda on developing NDCs, um, making sure there's a big role for green infrastructure in those plans. And then off the back of that, we often get engaged in discussions about capital raising plans for those green pipelines of projects. And bonds is 
very much a part of that. We totally recognise it's only a part of the financing solution. They are not suitable for everything. They're often used for refinancing rather than initial financing. So you still might be relying on, depending on the country, project financing, whether that's commercial or whether it's from a development bank. But over time, we would like to see these evolving, uh, depending on the country, depending on the issuer, depending on the types of assets, into being refinanced through the green bond market as part of that almost ecosystem of finance for the longer term so that people can start accessing the bond markets, start accessing lower risk, cheaper capital, and then recycle their project finance back into more developing uh, green projects uh, so they can kind of basically roll out a wider and wider program of green infrastructure. And bonds are definitely a part of that, although they don't tick all the boxes themselves. Touching on the huge scale of this uh, of this need again for sustainable development, Christiana Figueres, former exec- executive secretary of the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, advocated that the green bond market needs to reach $1 trillion of issuances by 2020 in order to meet global objectives for emissions reduction and climate-aligned infrastructure. Do you think the green bond market can reach such a milestone? And what will need to play- take place for that to become a reality? Yeah, this is something that we at Climate Bonds have been pushing for a number of years to try and reach this $1 trillion target by 2020. For the bond market itself, that is still a drop in the ocean. It's worth about 90, 95 trillion in total is outstanding in bonds at the moment. So one trillion isn't a huge part of that. It would require, though, from where we are today and where we've been the last couple of years, a doubling year on year from now into 2020. It is possible. It's ambitious, but I definitely think, and we think at CBI, it's a target that we should be aiming for. There is obviously a need for a lot of in, uh, investment in green infrastructure. The bond market is a source of a lot of capital um, is borrowed uh, every day in the green bond market. And so it's a, it's a kind of perfect fit in terms of capital need and capital availability. So it's an ambitious target, but we are really hopeful that we can collectively get there. Hey everyone, thanks for sticking with us. We'd like to again thank our guest, Anna Creed, for joining us today. If you're still in shock at the sheer amounts of money being discussed, don't worry, you're not alone. It's hard to believe that there is this enormous pool of finances out there, this $90 trillion bond market. Right now, only a small portion of it is going towards climate bonds. But that number is growing each year. If we can work towards meeting the $1 trillion bond target by 2020, Can you imagine the work we could do to mitigate and adapt to climate change while building resilient new infrastructure? The impact would be huge. That's why it's even more important to come up with these climate bond standards to ensure that the money is going towards the right projects, those based on sound science and those that will maximize the impact. I encourage you all to read more about the water standard and the other work being done by Climate Bonds Initiative by visiting www.climatebonds.net. You'll be hearing more and more about green bonds in the years to come. That I can guarantee. Thanks again for joining us on the Climate Ready Podcast. Make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or listen to us by visiting our website, www.aguaguide.org slash climate ready. That's A-G-W-A guide.org slash climate ready. While you're on our site, don't forget to submit your questions and comments for upcoming interviews. Until next time. 